Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, July 12, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and as previously noted, at least once a week in advance of the 2021 NBA Draft, scheduled for July 29th. We're going to be dedicating an episode of the Eye on College Basketball Podcast to a notable prospect. Today, we turn our attention to another possible pick, former UConn star, James Booknight. He is a six foot five guard from Brooklyn who played two seasons at UConn and in his sophomore season averaged 18.7 points, 5.7 rebounds, and 1.8 assists in 31.7 minutes per game. He did that for a UConn team that finished third in the Big East, lost to Maryland in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Shot 44.7% from the field, 29.3% from three, and 77.8% from the free throw line. Some mock drafts have him Going in the top 10, I've seen him as high as number seven, but some others you know, still have him outside of the top 20. So, Deadleg, I know you are a believer in James Booknight. You have him higher than most. What makes you think James Booknight's going to be worthy of a top 10 pick in the 2021 NBA draft? I think that ultimately he is going to prove that his ability to play on and off the ball, good shot creator, for himself, good scorer, good shooter. We can get into that in just a second. I did have, since we've last podcasted on our draft prospects, I did post my my once a year, 1.0, there is no 2.0 mock draft where I basically try and project in order. the. And let, let me stop. How many people called you an idiot? Oh, it's just glorious. How about this? <laughs> My 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 thanks to the CB, to the social team behind the CBS Sports HQ account uh, on Instagram because <laughs> because I think the caption was like first of all it's a graphic of just my top ten mock trip but again it's like it is my big board because I, I basically try and differentiate you do mocks Kyle let, Boone let, let does me, let me let me tell you the problem you run into here's like a little uh, inside baseball you know in the weed stuff for you as a listener if you call something a quote mock draft it does a billion more page views than if you say here is my big board because people are out there constantly That's searching right. nba mock draft nba mock draft nba mock. so we are under orders to quote do a mock draft but and and so i do this early in the process norlander does it this late in the process basically say hey listen i'm not worried about who the Bulls might pick if they have the third pick as much as I'm trying to put a list together of the best NBA prospects from my perspective. and But you have to put it in a certain order connected to teams so you can call it a mock draft so it'll get a billion more page views than it otherwise would get. And it doesn't matter if you write that and explain it. And oh, it yeah. doesn't matter if you put it in a tweet and explain it. There are still people 
who are going to scream at you, why would this team take a point guard if they've already got so-and-so? Because they didn't read the context that you provided. They only see that the Sacramento Kings are taking this person. So I know you explained and over-explained. Yeah. Hey, guys, this is what I'm doing. But as somebody who's done that before, it just it does not work. And that's fine. And I get I get I get joy out of it. But yes, the the actual um it, the the graphic here is Matt Norlander's once a year mock draft is back, and someone buried in those comments said it should be none a year because. <laughs> <laughs> and and credit to you, but I did. I, this is just again. This is my big board. So Kate Cunningham, Suggs, Barnes, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green. I have Zaire Williams six. He is my sleeper. Zaire Williams out of Stanford, who had a very inconsistent year, and then I have Book Night at seven after, and then I've got Kispert, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, another long-term sleeper, and then I have Davion Mitchell, 10. That's my big board, but my mock draft. So anyway, I am high on um, Book Night because I think ultimately when we look up a decade from now, I think he's got a really, really good shot at having a top six, seven, eight career in the NBA of this year's draft class. And the biggest reason why is I think that he projects extremely well as an efficient and dependable score at the NBA level. I can easily envision James Booknight being a number two guy on an NBA roster from a scoring standpoint four years from now and five years from now. But what are your thoughts on the numbers we saw last season? He didn't play eight games because of an elbow issue that required um, uh, him going under the knife a little bit there, and that clearly affected his efficiency. I think the biggest reason why you said you saw him outside of the top 20 even his three-point numbers last season, just 29.3% last season, and I think in particular the double teams and some of the uh, the injury issues he had there. But where do you land on Book Knight uh, as he projects? Are you kind of a little less with me on a, as a top seven, top eight prospect? I'm getting there. Um, obviously, the, 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 the concern when you're evaluating him – First of all, he's another prospect that we're not arguing with anybody about whether he's a first-round pick or not. Even his detractors, his skeptics would acknowledge he's going to go in the first round of this draft and should go in the first round of this draft. So if you believe in him, you think he's a top-10 guy. If you don't believe in him, you probably think he's somewhere between late lottery and you know into the early 20s. But even if you don't believe in him the way others do, you're not, you're not saying, yeah, I don't see this guy as a first-round pick. He's going to be picked in the first round. The shooting numbers are problematic. Um, you know, he was, has not been a good three-point shooter at, at UConn in two seasons. Uh, I will say that he was shooting 33% from three and 80% from the free throw line before he suffered that elbow injury. And after the elbow injury, it dropped to 27% from three and 76% from the free throw line. So that suggests that he is better than the 29% three-point shooter that he showed at UConn. And the encouraging thing, I think, is that he reportedly shot the ball really well at the combine. And the fact that he did shoot... 80% from the free throw line in two years at UConn is also encouraging because that's an indicator that he can shoot it, even if he you know, didn't shoot the ball well in, in college. Some of that is shot selection. Some of that is in, you know, an inconsistent release, inconsistent height on the jump shot. Um, but it suggests that if he gets with you know real development people and works on hey let's let's replicate this motion over and over again because sometimes when he shoots jumpers sometimes he's really up in the air sometimes he's not sometimes the release is here sometimes it's there you get that stuff cleaned up there's a lot of other stuff that suggests he can be a real shooter 
uh, because, you know, we've seen him make shots consistently, not over a span of a season or even a couple of weeks, but, you know, in, in a span of, of 40 minutes, like he got really going against Creighton in December. It was an overtime loss, but he played 40 minutes. It was 13 to 24 from the field, 5 of 12 from three in that game, 9 of 12 from the free throw line. So what makes me believe that he's got a way better chance of going in the top 10 than he does going outside of the top 20 is that the not the only real concern, but the most obvious concern is the three-point shooting. But if he did stuff at the combine and in private workouts to alleviate some of those concerns – then there's a lot of other stuff that you you really, really like. No doubt about it. And the inverse of what you just mentioned there was the NCAA tournament game, the loss against Maryland, which I uh, I didn't see any of this game because actually that was when when the v, when VCU got knocked out of the tournament because of its COVID issue. That news broke, I want to say, like 20 minutes before UConn-Maryland tipped off. And so I spent the next two hours, two and a half hours, writing, reporting, and going on HQ uh, dealing with all of that. So I didn't see any of the game. And I still, I did not go back. I did it's, not go it's back. Funny and, you, it, it's funny you mentioned this because last night when I was prepping for this, yeah, I was like, so who did you come play in the NCAA tournament? And I was like, Maryland. And I was like, I have no recollection of that game whatsoever. This is why. And, yes. and the reason is because we were dealing with the VCU stuff. That's I didn't remember that was why, but now I know why. I don't remember any, like literally nothing about that game because we weren't watching it. We were dealing with the VCU situation. That, that, is, that is correct. There was another game, and I can't even recall what it was, but there was another one that was obviously going on in that window as well that I never ended up watching. But I, being in Connecticut and having – Obviously, friends that graduated, a spouse that graduated from uh, from UConn was uh, the loss. There was certainly uh, very much on my radar. He uh, book night in that game, fifteen points on sixteen shots in forty minutes. Not that efficient there, but you know, I I did speak with some NBA evaluators and even a couple of coaches that did not coach book night uh, about him in the past couple of weeks. A lot of raving about his handle, his confidence. Uh, killer confidence, really. His ability to create space for himself within an offense, he can do it on his own. You know, the NBA right now is if you are a guard and you've got a confident handle, you can take guys off the dribble, you can pull up, you can you can shoot from three, mid-range, get to the 10. He can, he, he plays well through contact. I think that he's... He's pretty. He's creative. He's he's got like Book Knight's got a good knack around the rim. Again, can play through contact. I think he's also uh, pretty diverse in how he uses his hesitation and some flexibility to score around bigger players in the paint. I think all of those factors are what lead me to put him as high as number seven on my overall big board. I don't think you can say, all right, you look at the past season, the past two seasons of James Book Knight. And that is a player deserving to go in the top 10 of this year's draft. I don't think that's the case. I think it is much more about a projection with him. It's a little, little bit of an inverse of what we talked about with Davion Mitchell. Here are Book Knight's numbers in his career of 43 games at playing college. 80% from the line, 51% from two, 32% from three, and a true shooting percentage of 55%, which is respectable. I think he's got enough size. He's six four. This is his combine measurements. I checked it just before we we uh, we podcasted here. He was six four and three quarters in shoes, with a six eight and one quarter wingspan at two hundred and six pounds. He didn't work out for teams at the combine, which is no surprise. Really, the only projected 
uh, surefire top 10 pick that did was Scotty Barnes. Shout out to Scotty Barnes for doing that, and he killed it there. But um, all the other stuff uh, would be in private team workouts where those teams have that propri- proprietary information for them to uh, to evaluate them. But I, GP, I just I think that he is a he's a little bit of an undersized shooting guard who nonetheless seems positioned well to eventually make it to a starting role as a scoring first option. And I think it is a little bit of a of an optimistic outlook, but I will say that his stock is interesting. I don't think it's unthinkable that he goes like number six or number seven on draft night. We'll kind of see if trades happen or whatever, but I think that his offensive ceiling is so high. Uh, that he will have a chance. If he doesn't, it's clearly going to be just the straight shooting numbers that are, and you talked about his form. That's what's going to prevent that from happening. I'm telling you, if if it was if it was 38% from three instead of what he has, I, I really think Book Knight would be almost a the guy like in the five spot, you know? But because those numbers weren't that high, that's why he's floating in a little more of a roving target in that lottery. Yeah, I, I, even to the extent that he's undersized to play off the ball, He'll make up for that with the fact that you know he's 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 an a great athlete, and you know wingspan is um, in excess of six foot eight. So he, you know, is an incredible. He shot sixty three percent around the basket. So he's comfortable getting there, and then enduring contact, scoring, finishing over bigger players. That's athleticism stuff. He's a uh, can you catch lobs? You know, I, you go back, watch highlights. There's stick back dunks with him flying in from the perimeter. All the stuff that screams athleticism, 360 dunks and warm ups. Um, all that stuff is there. Um, I will say the hand, though, he does get a little sloppy with it sometimes. Uh, that's how he, in part, how he averaged 2.8 turnovers per game. But, you know, the fact that he can, you know, really. Uh, understands how to play in pick and roll situation. Got a great first step that helps him get into the lane. Can change speeds. He's got good body control. He is by all accounts a, a real competitor. I, I the offensive stuff, like he's a natural scorer. He's going to be able to score in theory all three levels. He can create shots for himself. The hesitation moves are real. That helps him get to the rim um, and like get like open layups the way you see guys like Trey Young, uh, uh, John Morant do. I'm not comparing him to those players, but the way they often, despite their size, mm-hmm. find themselves with wide open layups because of hesitation moves and change of speed. Like Book Knight can do some of that. And um, I, I was reading a lot of stuff and I, I came across. Um, a really thorough breakdown of, of Book Knight's game from uh, Mark Schlin, uh, Schindler, who works with IndieCornrows.com. And so I was just going through that. And one of the points he made, and I wanted to give him credit for this because I hadn't seen a lot of other people make this point, is that what makes Book Knight really special on the offensive end isn't the shot creation. Like, that's what you remember is Book Knight, ball in his hands, using a ball screen, getting into the lane, step back jumper, that kind of stuff. But the point Schindler makes is that his real asset on the offensive end is moving without the ball, that he cuts and moves with a real purpose. The way Rip Hamilton used to do, Ray Allen used to do, going back even further, Reggie Miller used to do, the way Steph Curry does now, where you're just running around off a screen, off a screen, really putting your defender uh, in a blender 
and then being able to curl off of screens and knock down shots. Like there's a lot of evidence that Book Knight does that. He's willing to move without the ball to create a, an opportunity and is excellent at moving without the ball to create an opportunity. And so, again, a lot of the highlights you're going to see is Book Knight with the ball in his hands. But Book Knight without the ball in his hands is is really really impressive and it just adds another uh, another dimension to what is a pretty diverse uh, and versatile offensive game. Yeah, you mentioned guys that can get to the rim and create space and find themselves in situations where they're in traffic and then suddenly they're not and they got a, a right. really good right. Curry is really good at that as well. Book Knight's not the ball handler that Curry is, but I could see him developing into a bit of a poor man Steph Curry in terms of his. Uh, his first step creating and kind of getting to the tin that way. And Trey Young's really good at that as well. I do like that comparison. Another thing about Book Knight uh, that I discovered in kind of just sending a few texts, making a few calls is from when he committed to to UConn and getting on campus there, like he quite clearly, like he had the, he had this, he had the set of skills going into college where he was going to be a projected NBA pick. Right. And so in those kind of instances, what you'll sometimes get with some players for better or for worse is their dedication will be, it'll be good, but you know, they might be, they might get to college and no, no, no blame here. I do what you got to do, but they'll they'll certainly enjoy the college experience to the max. And by that, I mean like sometimes you'll talk to coaches and they'll have a, a projected first round pick. And one of the biggest uh, things that they'll try and work with them on is like, listen, man, like I can't have you out till four thirty in the morning. I, you know, every so every blue moon, if you got to do it, I totally get it. But if you if you're going to be invested here, particularly during the season. Uh, let's just try and keep it keep it reined in a bit here. And from all accounts that I've gathered, Book Knight was a a real student of the game, took the stuff seriously in his two seasons at, at UConn, and was dependable, like in the locker room with his coaches. And that stuff also does matter there. It's uh, it's it could be completely understandable to think that if you're a projected top 20 pick going and playing at a school like UConn with a campus in the middle of nowhere, if maybe some of your behaviors, you know, lead you to just lead you astray here and there. That did not happen with him. He's a, he's a really good student of the game. And uh, I think his, I think if you talk to Dan Hurley and that staff, they'll, they'll say the same here. Like he was invested in the program, in his development, and didn't let the stuff outside of basketball really take him away from the path that he was on. And really, the things that are going to hold him back are more tied to uh, his development or, again, some with the elbow injury, which if he does not go in the top 10, I think that's going to be the biggest reason why. Well, the other thing to understand about him is that this isn't one of these prospects who grew up playing grassroots basketball from like the age of seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He didn't start playing organized basketball till he was in high school. Mm-hmm. He was a baseball player growing up. Like he wanted to be Robinson Cano. He didn't want to be um you know uh Kemba Walker. He didn't want to be Kemba Walker. Yeah. He wanted to be you know Derek Jeter. And um after his junior season of high school I should say his first junior season of high school because he did two junior seasons uh, by design, not because he like failed classes or anything. Um, After his junior season, his first junior season of high school, he had one offer, a division one level, Sienna. Sienna was the only school involved because he never played Mm -hmm. grassroots basketball. So then he reclassifies for a second junior season, decides to play on the EYBL circuit for the PSA Cardinals, was really good started getting big offers. That's when UConn got involved and the other big boys. 
And then in January of his second junior season, he tore his meniscus and ended up missing the rest of that high school season and basically the entire EYBL circuit that year. I think he might have played a little bit at Peach Jam. He was cleared to play just before Peach Jam. Got on the court, so it's not true that he missed the entire, but he barely played and wasn't the same. So he slips all the way down to like, I think he was 66th in the class of 2019, according to to 24-7 sports. Um, So he has injury history in high school and in college. And I guess that's something, if you were going to put a list of concerns together, maybe you you put that on the list, you know, meniscus in high school, elbow injury in, in college. But my larger point is this isn't someone who's been playing structured basketball you know, for the past, you know, since he was 10 years old, he started playing structured basketball in high school and he wasn't in high school too long ago. So you got to think there's real room for development. I mean, sometimes you see somebody who didn't start playing organized basketball till late and they look like it. You would never actually think that about James Booknight watching him play. Like he grew up on, on, you know, concrete courts. Um, And and I actually like, that's the way the greats used to grow up. Like, especially the greats from, from New York. And, um, not so much anymore or not as much anymore, but, but book Knight has only been playing organized basketball for a very limited amount of time relative to other people in this draft. And he's already a, a pretty uh, incredibly developed offensive talent. So, you know, get another four years of organized basketball with real pro instruction. What does that look like? There's a lot of stuff to be encouraged with here. There is. And I remember when the, that second injury happened because there was, there was curiosity. Basically how I remember it being is he's going into UConn. Uh, he slipped in the, in the overall recruiting rankings, but there was definitely a feeling like we have a future NBA player coming into the program and book night can be the, the guy to help really steer Hurley's vision and kind of get UConn to where it needs to be going. And you kind of see it. He is very natural. My closing thought is this. If you're if you're Golden State and you're sitting there, I just think that he makes a ton of sense because his style of play, that, that franchise, that coaching staff, that style of play, drafting him at seven would be a, a really good fit. And where he goes will definitely be about fit. There's, there's no doubt about it. There could be a situation where he's sitting there at 7, he doesn't get picked, and then teams 8 through 12 just don't feel like they need a player of what, what Booknight brings, and so he slips because of that. I do think his skill set will be a situation where he gets picked. It is going to be a, a dependent on team need, and so because of that, targeting actually where he's going to go is a little more difficult. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Roscoe Biggers, legend. Shouts to Lauren now. Thank you guys once again for listening to the Iron College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And if you've got 30 seconds, uh, please rate uh, the podcast and, and, and leave a nice review. Type some nice words if you can. In fact, I saw over the weekend someone was nice enough to, to follow my orders word for word. They literally left a five-star review that said nice words. It literally just said nice words. And that's good enough. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to expand on that thought a little bit if you can. It, it really does genuinely help, and our bosses appreciate it as well. But if, if all you got time for is to type nice words under a five-star, that's good enough for me. I'm not going to – beggars can't be choosers, as they say. So you guys, please uh, go knock that out if you can, and we will talk to you again really soon. Okay. 
Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.